You're listening to the From the Hack Curling Podcast, part of the Curling News and Sports Illustrated Partnership. Hi everyone, my name is Frank Rock and welcome to the From the Hack Curling Podcast. A bit of a shorter episode this week, but it includes two of my favorite interviews of the year. With two members of the Canadian team that won silver at the World Wheelchair Curling Championship in Richmond, BC a few weeks ago. And then I chat with a young lady who this season has won not one, but two Canadian championships. Hello everyone, thank you for joining me this week. Once again, my name is Frank Rock. My first guests this week are Mark Eitzen and Gil Dash, who recently represented Canada at the World Wheelchair Curling Championships in Richmond, BC, where they earned a silver medal. And if that was enough, less than two weeks later, Gil Dash earned his fourth career Canadian Wheelchair Curling Championship at Nationals in Moose Jaw. Mark, you and Gil recently represented Canada at the 2023 World Wheelchair Curling Championships that took place in Richmond, B.C. Before speaking about the event, I was wondering if you can clarify how Team Canada is selected for the World Wheelchair Curling Championship because I know it's different than the process for the Scotties, Briar, and Canadian Juniors where the winning teams at Nationals head off and represent Canada at the Worlds, whereas in wheelchair curling, the national team is actually selected, right? Yeah, that's correct. We're uh, we're a selected team uh, from across the country, and um, you know there's a few reasons for that. Um, but uh, basically, the um, uh, the players that um, that fit the required roles from across the country have the opportunity to to play for Canada. And you know, there's um, there's uh, a lengthy uh, selection process that goes on um, with the program staff and directors and um you know there's also classification rules because not everyone that plays in the the national championship uh would classify with their disability uh, internationally so there are some some things to navigate there and um so that's really why we're we're a selected team from across the country gil this was your first world championship as a member of team canada it must have been quite the experience for you Oh yeah, it was amazing, awesome. A couple words that people say a lot, but it, you know, it was just really good to be there. Mark, Canadian curlers and curling fans get somewhat uh, spoiled in men's and women's world championships because those events are held in Canada every other year, respectively. It's not quite the same in wheelchair curling, uh, so it must have been nice to get a chance to compete in front of a home crowd in BC this year. Yeah, it was amazing, as Gil said. Um, that was my ninth world championship and, and my first one in Canada. So it was really nice to have friends and family there, especially after, um, you know, a pandemic year or a couple of pandemic years when we weren't allowed to have friends and family in the stands. Uh, the last world championship hosted by Canada was in 2009 prior to the Vancouver Games. So, you know, we were due to host one and I was really excited to play, uh, to play in Canada and, uh, and we had a great tournament. Lost a, lost a squeaker in the final. Gil, uh, one thing that curlers realize quickly when they first get the chance to represent Canada at a world championship is that there are a lot of expectations on players when representing Canada in the sport of curling. Did you feel any additional pressure in Richmond seeing as how you were wearing the Maple Leaf at Worlds for the first time? Well, the nerves. 
we have a good staff with the wheelchair team pre preparing us all year long for that. When I came into it, I wasn't really nervous at the beginning. Farther on, like when we get to the championship game, that's when I noticed people, like uh, I could see a little bit of nerves, but we have very good um, mental training and whatnot to deal with that. And I mean, I'm not young anymore either at my age. So I've been around, I've been to lots of championship, national championships. That's kind of how the nerves were. Mark, your first game of the round robin at the World Championships in Richmond this year was against a Chinese team that is arguably the best wheelchair curling team in the world. Did you like facing them that early in the event, Mark, or would you have preferred to get a few other round robin games uh, in before playing the best team in the world? No, it was actually really nice to play them right off the bat, um, you know, just to kind of test ourselves early and, and you know, see where they're at. And they're definitely the best wheelchair curling team in the world right now. Um, you know, defending Paralympic champions in Beijing, and um, they're a tough team to beat. They they work hard at it, and um, you know, usually we've got their number in the round robin, and they get us in the playoffs. But they uh, they got us both games at this uh, World Championship, so you know, we just take that back to the drawing board and and see how we can improve and what it takes to to beat them. Now, I should have asked this a little bit earlier, uh, Gil. Uh, you mentioned all the mental training you do through Curling Canada. I'm curious to know how often the team actually gets together to practice once a national team has been announced each season. I added up the nights, and it was around 74 nights that we were away from home in the 12-month period. So we get together a fair amount for training, and then when you're at home, you're practicing. And you're playing in your regular league games. You're playing against the best that you can locally to make yourself better. So, Mark, earlier you referred to the championship game versus China. You were down 3-2 in the final end of that game, a wit hammer. For those in our audience that did not get to watch the game, can you tell us about that last end against China? Did you have a chance to score, or did the end simply get away from you? No, actually, we we controlled the end most of it. We had some good opportunities, and we were set up for two on a couple occasions. And um, you know, they uh, were fortunate when peeling a guard to uh, roll Barry roll to cover the one uh, that they had in the forefoot to to make it challenging for us to to score the two. And we had a couple opportunities to freeze to the one that was that they had covered sort of back forefoot and and uh, just couldn't capitalize on the opportunities. And then, you know, we had a draw for one to tie the game and, and you know, John threw it really well and, you know, it was a point one or point two of a second away from going into the extra end. And, you know, we don't have the, uh, the benefit of sweeping in our game. So we're, you know, we're constantly tracking paths and, and uh, you know, we got you just actually throwing the best guess at it on how you're gonna throw it from one end to the other and make it stop within a four foot circle. So um he was really close and and uh and there was the silver medal. 
You just provided me with a great segue, uh, Mark. Uh, you don't have uh, the benefit of sweeping in wheelchair curling the way they do in men's and women's curling, where sweepers have gotten really good at keeping a rock straight or making it curl almost at will, some people would argue. So I'm assuming that it's even more important in wheelchair curling to keep an eye on what the different paths are doing and whether the ice conditions are changing during a game from end to end. Yeah, um, correct. Yeah, we... Yeah, we, we don't have anyone to fix it after it's gone. So yeah, I, I, we're definitely um, tracking paths, probably not more so than an able-bodied team, but we definitely have, you know, we have a good idea of how many rocks have been down each path. And we're timing, you know, we're timing diligently just to, to match a time to the feel, um, you know, because you know, the time from hog to hog doesn't always match up to the feel and different surfaces that you play on. So, you know, we're we're trying to just gather as much information every shot we can to try to put it, you know, where we need to put it within, you know, a small window. We we always try to to have a pro side miss, and um, you know, unless you're you have to make a perfect freeze, um, there's usually a little bit of room for error though there. So we try to to uh, throw it in the in the window, um, sort of like a bullseye versus throwing it to a specific spot. So, yeah, we, we definitely are, you know, watching paths and, you know, cheating on a little bit of extra ice just in case, um, you know, the, the release is, is tight or, or a little bit soft to make sure we get around what we're getting around. So, Gil, you had a fairly busy stretch in March where you competed at the Worlds, and then about a week or so later you started the Canadian Championship. How tired were you when you started the round robin at Canadians? Yeah, well... First off, we were in Richmond about a week ahead of the Worlds and then there for the length, the duration of the Worlds. Then came back home, curled the next night, curled the next night, and then a little bit on the weekend before Nationals and tried to get rest because that's one of the biggest things about getting through these championships is to still be alert mentally alert when you're playing at the end of the week. So, so big. Hey Gil, this was your fourth career national championship title. I'm assuming it never gets old to win in a Canadian championship. Oh, it never gets old. That's right. Um, it was at, at home. Um, doesn't get better than that. That's two that we have at home in Saskatchewan. One was in Regina and now one in Moose Jaw. Lots of friends and family. I mean, was really surprised at how many fans came out. Um, there was lots. And uh, the venue was great. The volunteers, the city of Moose Jaw, it was top-notch when it comes to curling. Like, there were so many people volunteering there, the right people in the right spots. So I was proud about that for Saskatchewan, too. And so it just made you feel good. And to have friends and family be there like Mark said that about worlds well at nationals too there, there's more that are there and it was showcasing the sport so many of these people hadn't actually really got to see it in action against you know the same quality of curlers like wheelchair curlers because usually when we're curling and people see us around here you're playing against able-bodied curlers so it's not it's a it's a little bit different now they got to see us at the same level and they really enjoyed it and impressed a lot of people like 
cool. when you talk about what Mark talked about, about sweeping and the differences and how to, you have to throw the rock. Muscle memory, you talked about a little earlier about someone else. Important. Yeah. Mark, we often hear in men's and women's curling that one advantage we have in Canada is the depth that we have in our country where there are so many outstanding curlers vying for a chance to represent Canada internationally. Is it similar in wheelchair curling? Do we have more depth in wheelchair curling than other countries do? Yeah, I can't speak exactly to the other countries, but um, the the quality of wheelchair curling in Canada is very high in the, and, and we do have a lot of depth. Um, and it is growing like uh, our program just hosted the first all women's camp um, just a couple of weeks ago here in London. And uh, we had 10, 10 women um, come and participate in the camp, you know, sort of a next generation style. And I think 18 uh, applied to be part of that camp and, you know, such an, such an, an excellent number of participants. And, you know, there's uh you know, there's a whole bunch of people uh, in line, you know, trying to get uh, a spot in the program. And, um, yeah, the, the depth is excellent, and, and the curling game is, wheelchair curling game is growing in Canada. And finally, gentlemen, when does the selection process start for next year's Team Canada? Do you get to take a bit of a break now, or has a process already started? There's actually, the application is out currently, I think, uh, for those interested, it's due fairly soon. And um, then the process will will start again uh, fairly quickly, uh, to be honest. Like everyone that's involved in the program will be will be hitting the gym and um, you know watching game tape and doing everything we can to prepare uh, for the upcoming season. And and um, we'll kick things off on the ice probably in August with um, you know whoever's whoever is invited to attend the first camp and. And uh, we'll go from there. So um, probably I actually don't know how many people we'll start with this year, but, um, you know, we, as the, we usually carry eight to 10 uh, throughout the year. And, and as we get closer to uh, worlds and we whittle that down um, and, and with mixed doubles mixed in there now, uh, that number may be higher. And um yeah, and as we get closer, we uh, we select the teams usually just around Christmas time. Frank, further to one of your questions you asked earlier, about like how much training do you do and whatnot, like the camp that Mark's talking about in August, there's pretty pretty much a camp every month, and it's you know it takes about four four to five days of our time, and that's where people are evaluated in person as well. A quick note, uh, after we finished recording uh, the interview with Mark Eitzen and Gil Vash uh, earlier this week, uh, Mark and Gil uh, wanted me to make sure that I actually thanked everybody in Canada for the support that the team and the curlers received this season, not only at the national championships in Moose Jaw, but also at the world championships in Richmond, BC. They were completely blown away by the support that they received at the events, the people who showed up uh, to uh, support the athletes, uh, both in Richmond, in Richmond and in Moose Jaw. My final guest this week is Myla Plett, a young lady who already has two under-18 and one under-20 Canadian Championship titles on her curling resume, becoming the first skip to guide a team to titles at both events in the same season. 
Milo, having won the U18 championship last season, is it safe to say that you and your teammates uh, went into the season with a lot of confidence? Yeah, for sure. Um, our team with that win at Nationals last year, we went in pretty confident knowing we had picked up a really good lead, Ali Iskew. Um, she was a really good addition to the team. And then we started off our season knowing there was pressure. All these other teams that we played against, they knew about what we had accomplished. So there was definitely a big target on our backs, but we just brought our game for every bond spiel and uh, we had a pretty successful season. Saying you had a pretty good season might be a bit of an understatement there, my love, but we'll get to that in a few moments. Uh, you just mentioned the addition of Ali Iskew at lead this season. Could you describe the other lineup changes you made heading into the season? Our third, she went to U of A, and then our lead, Lauren Miller, went to play with Team Booth. Now, lineup changes can be tricky, Myla, and it can sometimes take a while for things to gel as a team. Obviously, your team was all on the same page at the end of the season, but I'm wondering if you can speak about the transition to new teammates and how long it took all of you to adjust at the beginning of the season. Um, so we had Chloe as our alternate the season before, so we just easily brought her onto the team. She was already on the team, so um, putting her in that position of being second wasn't too difficult, and then... We brought on Ali Iskew. We knew her. We'd played against her. She was um, on Team Yarmuch, and we noticed her good skills and her team-like behavior and competitiveness, and we were like, that's oh, a great addition to have to the team. So we asked her onto her team, and, and she's been great ever since. So. A bit earlier, you mentioned your team headed into the season knowing you'd have a target on your backs. How did you go about preparing for that, Myla? Especially for the under-18s, where as the returning champions, all of the teams would be giving you their best game. It was um, definitely a lot of pressure. We knew going into the week that um, we, those p people would be looking at us, and they'd be watching, trying to figure out where our weaknesses are, where our strengths are, um, just so that they could have a strong shot at beating us and so we knew that they would come in with that attitude and we had to bring our game that we'd been bringing all season since we were doing pretty well all season and so we brought our game to every game at nationals and pulled it off so so my is it fair to say that as defending champions at the u18s that you were more relaxed this year because you know exactly what to expect to navigate the week at the u18 canadians or did the pressure of defending your championship balance things out for the team i'd say there was definitely a bit of both in there um the pressure was definitely weighing on us throughout the whole national week um but definitely when we got to the final or semi-final final time then you could tell that there was teams that hadn't been there before. They were new to the national type game and being in a big event like that, you get very stressed out in those playoff games and our team had been there before. We had experienced that. So we were kind of calm going into those knowing that for sure there was pressure on us, but we had been there before and we knew how to handle the pressure. So Going into the final, we definitely, we weren't too stressed out about the cameras and everybody watching because we had done it the year before. So you had a very busy stretch in early February, Myla. Did you even get to go home between the end of the U18s and Timmins and the Canada Games and PEI? Um, well, I, you could ask my mom about this one. I left my bag just sitting open on the ground and I got washed what I needed washed and just reloaded it and headed off the next week, so... Um, it was definitely like back-to-back -back with the 
U18s to Canada Winter Games. And then I caught up for a bit during that week because we were on spring break. I had a break that week. So, yeah, it's nice to catch up for a bit there. So you get to the Canada Games where you lose to Nova Scotia in the gold medal game. Did that loss at the Canada Games get your team even more focused before heading into the U20s in Rouen Aranda? Um, it definitely helped us learn from our mistakes. Um, I think a little bit of it was the ice was a little bit tricky to learn um, in PEI, but we knew that we could play better than we did in the final. Um, and then just learning how to communicate better, how to fix what we were doing wrong at Canada Winter Games and uh, just pull off what we could in U20s because we knew we didn't play like that. So we just bring our game in U20. You and your team had never competed in the U20s before, Mila. So was your team uh, more relaxed when you got to Rouen Aranda for the U18s, just hoping to put in a good performance in your first U20s? Or did you expect a challenge for the championship? Yeah, no, we definitely were just going to have fun. Um, it was our first time being in U20s. Um, so it's just a new experience for all of us. And we were just hoping for maybe a few games to win and just meet all these teams from different provinces it was a new age group so a new bunch of people and yeah it was just nice to like be in that atmosphere and we weren't really expecting much from it but yeah <laughs> at what point during the u20s uh, myla did you and the team start getting the sense that you might have a chance to make the playoffs and perhaps win the whole thing um i'd have to say it was when we were seven and zero. um just after winning that many games and we could see who was our upcoming competition. We were like, well, these teams are good, but like we definitely do have a shot with our record. So um, after that, we're like, I guess we're just going to play as hard as we can to go and see if we can make it really far in the playoffs. And we were just going to be happy however our outcome was because we weren't expecting a 7-0 and record. There's an expression used in sports, uh, Milo, when teams do better at an event than expected, that they are playing with house money. Did uh, your team enter the playoffs at the U20s feeling a lot less pressure than you did at the U18s simply because you had already exceeded expectations in Rouen Aranda? Yeah, we didn't have very many expectations going into it, um, but I think there was a lot of pressure when we actually made the playoffs. Uh, we were, got very excited and a bit nervous i'll admit because you're playing to be team canada instead of just winning u18s and claiming that title and you don't go anywhere from it but playing as team canada and representing your country we're like that pressure was definitely weighing on us the night before the playoffs so so you get to the U20 finals, Myla. You're used to the lights and the cameras, but you're feeling the pressure and excitement because a team that wins the game earns the right to wear the Maple Leaf. What did you do to keep yourself in the moment and lead your team to victory? Um, definitely our communication. Um, our team, we work really well together. Uh, we have a bunch of different attitudes to during the game. Um, and when one of us is down, the others know how to bring them up. And... They could tell I was all like always a bit stressed during that game, and they knew the right words to say and keep me in the game, especially after a long week of just thinking. For me, 10 ends was very exhausting, but they knew the right words to say to keep me focused the whole game. So now your team will be headed to the World B Championship next fall to try and earn a spot for Canada at the 2024 World Juniors, right? 
Yeah. Now, if you earn a spot for Canada at the World Juniors, has Curling Canada confirmed that you will get to wear the Maple Leaf again at the World Juniors next spring? Yeah, you make top three in Worlds B, and then you play in Worlds A against all the teams that have already made it in there. And then that would be in closer into February. So, Miley, is your team aging out of U18s going into next season? Well, that's actually one of the big surprises for most people we talk to. Um, our parents even talk to, like, the other parents telling our ages. We have two girls who just turned 16, um, Chloe and Allie, our front end. They are both 16. And then Alyssa is turning 18 in December, and I'm the only one who ages out as I'm already 18. Ah, so you're going to miss out on the three-peat attempt at U18s next season then? Yeah, unfortunately. I was thinking, actually, I might get a coaching certificate and go uh, coach them in a few <laughs> ponds fields just for fun. But Myla, there aren't too many U18 teams that travel to national championships with parents that have won multiple Scotties and Briars. How nice has it been to be surrounded by people with so much curling experience? Really just a great experience to have, actually, and... Uh, it definitely improves the learning capabilities of the team. Uh, just those girls growing up with their parents being really good at curling, obviously, David Nedowin and Heather Nedowin and Beth Iskew and, like, all those big names. You see them all the time uh, just reoccurring even now as they are not in the Scotties or Briar anymore, but... Uh, we have David as a alternate coach, and he is really good with the strategy. He comes and joins our meetings, tells us a bit of, a bit of info that um, the team didn't notice of like how we could have played a shot, and that experience is just uh, really great to have on our team. And finally, Myla, your team will compete in next fall's Points Bet Invitational as the reigning Canadian junior champions. All of Canada's best women's teams will be in Oakville for that event. If you got to choose, which team would you like to play in the first round there? Perhaps a team that you've looked up to and would like to compete against and learn from? Probably Carrie Anderson. Uh, just knowing that she's, you know, gone pretty far in her career so far and played as Team Canada recently. So uh, just... Playing against her, I think, would be a really great learning opportunity, and uh, it would just be fun to know that you've played that name before. And that does it for this week's episode. A huge thank you to Mark Eitzen, Gil Dash, and Myla Paulette for joining me this week. Also, don't forget to check out our partners and friends in the Curling Podcast Network, the Two Girls in the Game podcast, the Rock Logic podcast, and the Curling Legends podcast. I'm Frank Rock, and you're listening to the From the Hack Curling Podcast, part of the Curling News and Sports Illustrated Partnership.